0: great to be here. Glad that you're able to join us in person or online or listening in later. It is uh, great, great to be here. It's such a pr- privilege and honor to be able to share uh, some thoughts with you and open God's Word with you here this morning. Um, I want to start uh, this morning with a story, but um, in case you don't know who I am, I'm Kevin Hackett. I'm the pastor of Student Ministries here. Um, been here for a little over five years, and uh, uh, it's been just an incredible honor. Uh, lots of opportunities to, uh, to serve here, um, and I'm thankful for that privilege. Um, let's begin, though, with a story. This goes back a number of years uh, to uh, previous camp ministry and i want to jump in there was a uh, camp director once upon a time who uh, was in charge of leading a a thriving ministry uh, of uh, activity adventure and sport and the whole purpose was to share the gospel through this through this ministry and um, he had a unique story and a unique personality to match And he really kept his lead team, his counselors, on their toes because of that. And one day, as one of those counselors was exiting the dining hall, uh, finishing her dessert, uh, he appeared kind of out of nowhere. And as those last bites of cookie were disappearing, this poor counselor noticed in her peripherals Oh, there's the director. And without hesitation, without missing a beat, the director said, oh, hi there. Uh, I didn't realize we were allowing food outside of the dining hall. Did the rules change? That rush, uh, that blush kind of rushed over uh, this poor female counselor as the guilt and shame kind of washed over her in a, a... huge wave, she realized she'd been caught breaking the rules outside of the expectations, the well-known expectations of the camp. I don't know, have you ever been in a spot like that where you felt the punch to the gut, that passive-aggressive attack? Or maybe you've used that passive-aggressive method to make a point. Well, I don't know about you, but for me, if it helps me avoid conflict, I'm in. I will take the passive route. I will run away from that conflict. I've been known to do that from time to time. I've also been known to take the aggressive side. It's funny how uh, being a parent brings that out sometimes. Um, And even husbanding, you know, to make up a word. Uh, It can be tense, right? Or what about this? If I'm not doing passive, if I'm not doing aggressive, let's just mix them together and do passive-aggressive. I will deny that something's going on and not really face it, but then I'll also be uh, attacking it at the same time. That's confusing. That's confusing for me. That's confusing for everybody else as well. But we do it. We use that approach. Why? Why? Well, because it works. It gets results. We don't have to have a lengthy conversation. We don't have to have a conflict. And we can get back to peaceful and tranquil quickly, without much effort. But is that really the best way to handle conflict? Is peaceful really the best thing for us to be aiming at. And we are in a season of conflict, there's no doubt. Uh, There's conflict all around us. There's always been conflict. Whenever you get human beings together, there's conflict. But it's just a little bit harder to ignore in this season that we're in, I think. It's an election season, there's racial injustice, The headlines report shootings, riots, and not to mention, there's a global pandemic that's changing the definition of school and work, bringing the office and the classroom crashing into the family space, into the space of our homes. That's the reality that we're living in. So we need, we absolutely have to figure out how to do conflict well. And like I said, we can attack it. We can go after it hard. We can be really aggressive. Or we can just deny it, pretend it doesn't exist, and sweep it under the rug and go passive. Or combine the two. But I want to suggest that there is a better way. That's dependent on God's method, message, method, character. If we allow that to guide and lead us, we're going to be much better at doing what we're called to do. I think God is calling us to more than just peaceful, more than just the tranquility of that vacation resort by the ocean. I think what God is calling us to is to be peacemakers in our place. And I believe that making peace is about more than just aiming at peaceful. Making true peace is about more than just aiming at peaceful. If peace and quiet are our ultimate goal, if that's the ultimate thing that we're aiming for, we're going to miss the opportunity to become peacemakers in our place, to align with what God is calling us to do. So what's your goal been as a spouse or a parent or a friend? What are the late-night conversations like in your home? What are the interventions that are taking place? What are those interactions like? What spikes an emotional response in you? And what's really been bothering you lately? What's the live conflict that you're living in? Get there, get to that space. It shouldn't be hard. (laughs) Is your aim in that space to change behavior or change people? Your kids, your spouse, your friends, is your goal to change behavior, to manipulate people? Or are you aiming at something else, something better? Now, so the title for this morning is Regarding Conciliation, if you read that fast. Reconciliation, pretty nifty, right? Okay. Um, Being peacemakers in our place. The idea of uh, reconciliation has to do with, uh, just in case, You need this definition. Reconciliation is the restoring of a broken relationship. Conciliation is similar, and that's the activity of bringing peace and harmony into a place. I think those are similar and related concepts. We have to kind of deal with them together. The mending of something that's broken, and then additionally, the bringing of peace into the places that we are. But the only way that genuine peace can happen is if we drive down below the surface of the the behaviors, below the behaviors, to the thoughts and the feelings. What's going on inside? What's going on in our hearts? The control center of all those behaviors. What is the root issue? That's the question that we need to be asking, and that's where we need to be dealing. And since the beginning, told in Genesis 3, uh, since Adam and Eve made the decision to go their own way, to ignore God's way, human beings have been in a struggle, and it's a struggle of what we want versus what God wants. And it's a struggle that all of us, all of humankind is involved in. We want peaceful. Wouldn't it be nice to have a peaceful and quiet time at the dinner table? Wouldn't it be nice if the kids would be quiet on our road trip? Wouldn't it be nice if we could have a homeschool day without... Strife. But God wants peacemakers. Not just peace. He wants changed hearts when sometimes all we want is changed behaviors and that's where we stop. God offers a way that doesn't just ask others to be quiet, to be nice, to be peaceful, but works hard to deal with what's actually wrong. This fight isn't against people, actually. This is a spiritual battle. We've got to get in that frame of mind, especially in this time of conflict. And this morning, I think the Apostle Paul can help us. I think he can help us with the reality of what's going on and and how we can, in the midst of conflict, lean into God's message, method, and character and be peacemakers in our place. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to open up your Bible or um, take a look in your phone. I am actually going to put this up on the screen, but for some of you it's going to be hard to see because there's a lot of there's a lot of text, but we're going to zoom in and focus on the key points this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died. For him who died for them and was raised again. There it is. That's God's message. It's the gospel. That Christ died in our place so that we could live. That for some reason, when we rebelled, God didn't run away from the situation. He didn't deny that sin was taking place. And He didn't come at us with aggressive fury and anger and rage. But instead, He moved toward us in grace. He tor- moved towards us with His grace and His mercy because there was work to be done. I think we've got to realize that we have a problem, and it's a problem of selfishness, the selfishness of sin. It narrows our field of vision down to just me, myself, and I. It doesn't allow us to see the bigger picture. It doesn't allow us to see other people. It doesn't allow us to see the opportunities That are right in front of us. And it comes with the attitude maybe you've seen this in in kids, maybe even in adults. You indulge me, and I'm happy. You don't, I'm gonna pout, and I'm gonna make your life miserable. Or at least I'm gonna try. That's the sin God sent Jesus to die for. Let's go to verse 18. Skip down to 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us. The message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's God's method. A ministry of reconciliation. A ministry of reconciliation. No longer living for ourselves, but for something more, to bring restoration to what's broken, to not run away from that, to be Christ's ambassadors, his heralds of the good news and being peacemakers. As we share the truth of the gospel, as he makes peace between us and God, We can share the good news that's his method then finally verse 21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God there's God's character God's character should be our compelling our aim is not tranquility. It's transformation. It's becoming. It's the process of becoming more and more like him, the peacemaker. That's why peacemaking isn't optional. That's why God calls us to be peacemakers in our place. Now we can be content to just talk about things. We can be content to just have a devotional theology. But I think we could improve. I think we could do better in the area of our actual doing theology, of our approach as we align our lives with the message, method, and character of God. So it's gonna take intentional effort. It's gonna take maybe adjusting our view, our lens a little bit. Looking beyond the heart, or looking beyond the behavior and to prioritize the heart. In Philippians chapter four, verse nine, Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice And the God of peace will be with you. Are you willing to be a peacemaker in your place? Are you willing to put it into practice? And if so, how do we do it? To begin with, when we're in conflict, uh, I just want to look at two, two steps. Two things to walk through. When you face conflict, when someone's done you wrong. Fairly simple, fairly straightforward. Um, Hopefully, it's something that you can remember and put into practice right away. First thing is we can overlook it. Okay, I know, that sounds passive, right? That sounds like a, a denial of the situation, but listen to how intentional it is. Listen to how... The decision is made in this process to overlook an offense. If the offense is something that you can overlook, if it's, if it's minor, it means you commit to truly overlooking the offense. And it means you make a promise to yourself. I promise I will not think about this incident I promise I will not bring this incident up and use it against the other. I promise I will not talk to the other about this incident. I promise I will not allow this incident to stand in the way or hinder my relationship with the offender. This is a 100% full-on commitment to not bring this up again. That's a decision of the will. You have to make that decision. You have to have assessed the wrong You've had to consider it enough to really, truly believe that you can overlook it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, um, Paul, as he's describing what loving Christian conduct says, he says, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Now, You can't instantly erase the hard drive of your memory. You can't just say, I'm going to forget. But you can make an intentional decision to forgive, and then let time and transformation help you with the forgetting. Psalm 130, verses 3 to 4 said, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Imagine what your closest relationships would look like if you decided never to overlook something. If you just never overlooked anything, big or small, The littlest offenses, if you you never, ever made the decision to overlook something. Every time the kids were loud, you got angry. Every time a plate was left on the counter, you lose it. Every time milk was spilled, rage fest. It would be misery. It would be misery. We have to do this. We have to be able to size up the, the wrong that's been done and overlook when we can. But what if we can't? What if the offense is major? What if it's keeping you up at nights? What if you keep thinking about it? What if every time you see the person or, or whatever, you think of this thing, it's actually dishonoring God. It's hurting somebody else, and maybe doing a combination of both. It's hurting your relationships. What if that's happening? Got to move to step two. You can discuss it. And here's where the temptation is going to be really strong to just deny it. Say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Not that big of an issue. Maybe I can just kind of push this aside. Sweep it under the rug. Maybe I was just blowing it out of proportion. And you know what? Actually, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for the discussion. I don't have time for the the confrontation. And we avoid it. Just know that that temptation is going to come. Decide in your mind that if the offense is major, you're going to do something about it. And you're going to do something about it that's more than just saying, I've got to just stop this behavior. In parenting, I don't know how many times that thought has gone through my mind. I just got to stop this behavior. I just got to turn the volume down. I just got to stop this fight. But what if in that moment I could get to the heart? What if in that moment I could get after what's going on below the surface? And this is where it gets fun because now we get to do the heart work. If you're seeing yourself clearly, you know that you're flawed, you know that you're broken, you know that you need help too. And if you can come in with humility, if you can come into a conflict with that attitude, that is a great place to start. To know that, whoa, I've got issues too. And even better, if you can identify with the offense that's been done to you and look at times in your life where where you've committed the same thing and you can identify with the person along those lines, What an incredible blessing that is. What an incredible move towards grace. What an incredible move towards actual peacemaking that could be. So many times, so many times, I have rushed into a room where there's some kind of skirmish going on. And I have assessed the situation, figured it all out in my mind, and started laying down the law, Kevin's law, before I even have the facts, before I even know what's going on. Because I just want resolution immediately. I just want peaceful immediately. One of the most important steps in the process involves talking less and listening more. what does it look like? I want to get real concrete here, take us into the home, take us into a situation, a hypothetical situation that could uh, happen. You could probably easily imagine this happening. Imagine uh, the scenario where you, as the parent, are in the kitchen. Little Johnny is out in the other room playing with his younger sister. Johnny's four years old. Okay, just to give you uh, an age range. We're talking about a four-year-old and a younger sister. All of a sudden, you hear a noise, a scream, and then the volume escalates and it turns into a full-on scream cry. You run out into the room just in time to see little Johnny rip a truck from his sister's hands and then hit her. Okay, so in that moment, of course, you as the good Jesus follower take a deep breath and you say, you know what? I'm going to be a peacemaker in my place. No, that's not what happens. Your blood pressure skyrockets and you start yelling. You regress to the behavior of the kid. Well, at least... That's happened to me. Maybe you're more mature than that. But now you have an opportunity. Now you have an opportunity to get beneath the behavior. What if in that moment, God's grace fell on you and you were able to take a breath? You were able to calm your blood pressure and you were able to engage in an actual conversation and you were able to discuss it. What if instead of losing it, you were able to ask five simple questions? And these I want you to take with you. This has already proven to be really helpful for me as I parent. Ask little Johnny, what's going on? Give him an opportunity to tell his side of the story. Get some, get some uh, telling going on. Then, next, you can ask, what were you thinking and feeling as it was happening? Notice, I'm not saying, what did you do? What were you thinking and feeling? Those are heart questions. Those are getting beneath the surface of the behavior. The order is really important. Now we get to, what did you do? Now we can connect whatever's going on in the heart with the behavior and see that, man, that behavior isn't a result of something outside of me. It isn't a result of some external trigger. It's actually because of something going on in my heart. And then, why did you do it? What were you seeking to accomplish? Motivation. Give them a chance to tell you what their motive was. What was the result? Now, let's look at this. Let's, look, let's go back to our situation. Let's say we're asking this to little Johnny. Imagine this. What's going on? He took my truck. What were you thinking, feeling as it was happening? Mad. What did he do? I hit him. Why did you do it? My truck. Translation, my sovereign stuff, if you touch that, you're gonna get violence. What was the result? Trouble. Okay? Now, it's not overly complicated. This isn't a massive, huge, long discussion. But this is something that even a four-year-old can process. And guess what you've just done? You've walked little Johnny through this process of connecting his behavior with his heart, of seeing that there's something going on underneath the surface that's strong enough to motivate behavior, And you've just had a full-on, grace-filled conversation with a four-year-old that's helping him put the pieces together. He might not get it all. He might not understand it fully. But he's getting a glimpse of what grace-centered interaction looks like rather than just me-centered interaction. So what if the conflict didn't surprise us as adults? What if the conflict didn't didn't surprise us and instantly trigger us to get mad? What if our instinct was to make peace? What if our aim was to be peacemakers in our place? Let's go back to the story of our passive-aggressive camp director for a second. Run that scenario through. The counselor was definitely in the wrong. She, she was outside of the guidelines of the camp. She made a mistake. But I think there was a greater mistake made. I think that that director, that camp director, missed an opportunity to go deeper, to get underneath the surface of behavior, and to get to the heart. What if instead of the passive-aggressive approach, he had seen the opportunity to get at the heart? To one, overlook the minor infraction, or two, if it really was necessary, to have a conversation. To say, hey, look, beneath this, obedience is really important. The guidelines of the camp are there for a reason, because we don't want critters running around the campus, or in the cabins, and food attracts all the animals from the woods. Even below that, it's important that you demonstrate obedience because God's called us to be obedient. And we're setting an example for all the campers that are here. Instead of going the passive-aggressive route, he could have led into the message, method, and character of God and been about the transformation of someone else's heart rather than just about the change of behavior. But we need help if this all seems like too much. This is too too big of a responsibility. I Don't think that uh, I can handle it. If anxiety is your response, that's okay. If you're harboring regret, if you look back on your life and you're like, I have not been a good peacemaker. this is the, I do not have a good history with uh, making peace with people and bringing, bringing peace to the place that I am. That's okay. If you're discouraged or you're ready to give up because you keep on trying but failing, that's okay. That just means that You're human and that you need help. And we can cry out to the only one who can help. We can look past the current moment to a destiny, to a certainty of heaven and a promised portion that we are preparing to receive. We can use this moment. transformation we could take this opportunity to point our spouses to point our kids to point our friends to point our neighbors towards what true peace looks like what God means by Shalom and the good news is we don't do this alone Philippians chapter 2 13 says for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Imagine if we did conflict better at home in that little microcosm of our larger world. What if we practiced there where it was safe and where the stakes weren't as high? And We took the lessons that we learned there about making peace and we brought them into all of our human interactions. What an incredible witness that would be What an incredible move towards real shalom. Imagine if we made it our mission to be peacemakers in our place. I think we'd have a better understanding of what God meant by shalom. And maybe we might even get peaceful as the byproduct. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the chance to be here. Um, to be in your word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look at our hearts, to look at our own brokenness, to look at the cracks in our character, and to see that we can bring even brokenness and weakness to your feet, and you'll provide strength. That we can center our lives around worshiping you instead of ourselves and our little kingdoms and that we can actually make it our aim to bring peace, to reconcile like you've reconciled us, to reconcile and do the hard work of forgiveness and to do the hard work of discussion and conversation. Lord, help us to see the ways that we can identify with you that we can identify with your message, your method, your character, and take that into every interaction so that we can be peacemakers in our place. God, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. Now we have the... uh, Opportunity to go hang out um, outside in our uh, just outside uh, in our parking lot And we'd ask you to wear your mask and head that direction and then uh, keep social distance as we as we congregate out there